Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So it will be the Tampa Bay Lightning against the Washington Capitals in the Eastern Conference Final. The Caps eliminated the defending Stanley Cup champions by beating the Penguins 2-1 to one in overtime. Steve, I need help on this name. It's Evgeny, Evgeny Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov. God bless you. Uh, with the goal, with the game winner. So I'm happy for all my Washington fans, friends of mine that uh, are from the D.C. area because what a sad sports history they've had. Uh, the Caps, the Nationals, the Wizard, and the Redskins – were combined 0-13 in games where they had a chance to go to the conference finals. So they've broken through. But as my uh, my friend Chris Harry and others from there would say, yeah, but they're just teasing us, man. <laughs> they're not going to do it. They're just, they're just going to make it worse now. Um, but anyway, congratulations to the Caps, and that should be a, a, a certainly a, a fun series. First time in 19 years uh, that they've been to a conference final. Well, they're there, and they're going to play the Lightning, and we think this game will be Friday. Nothing's been set yet as we do this podcast, but that's going to happen pretty soon. There's an event at um, Amelie Arena on Saturday night, so that James Taylor, presumably, right? yeah. yes, would not be an option for the arena. So Friday, Sunday seems most logical, but could start Thursday potentially and go Thursday, Sunday, or something like that. So great series. We'll, we'll talk about that all week. we got Tom Jones tomorrow. By the way, who you got, Tom Jones? Please pick, Please pick the Capitals. Please pick the Capitals. Please pick the Capitals. Do not. Whatever you do. In fact, write a column and change all the Bruins to Caps and say how the road stops here. Um, my goodness. Some of the hate mail he got. I don't know if you saw what he posted on online or on Facebook. There are some real morons out there. Uh, but anyway, it's going uh, to be a great week, and we'll have lots of previews and talk about that. I'll say this before we move on. Pittsburgh. Look like a tired team. They look like a team that has won the last two Stanley Cups, and we're like, let's go home, guys. We got nothing. They had won nine straight that, playoff series. They're not as deep as they were the last couple of years, which leads to a tired team. You know, the yeah, amount of hockey happens. they've played and their roster is not quite as filled out or as deep. So it hasn't been a three-peat Stanley Cup champion since 1980 to 83 when the Islanders won four in a row. Right, and that won't happen again until the Lightning win the next three. Uh, so, I, <laughs> uh, what we really want to talk to you guys about tonight, and I'm going to uh, going to do this a little bit. Whatever happened to Josh Freeman, the Bucks' last franchise quarterback? He hasn't thrown a meaningful pass in a football game since 2015. I caught up with Josh at a passing camp uh, with the Montreal Alouettes of the Canadian Football League. My interview with him and. Maybe a cautionary tale as well. That's next. But first, I want to tell you about an offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to this show, you get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. So last month, a couple weeks ago actually, I had an opportunity to, uh, to go over to Vero Beach and the sort of the PR guy for the Montreal Alouettes made me aware that uh, Josh Freeman was going to be over there participating in a passing camp. And I didn't know that Josh had signed with the CFL team. I think I'd seen something about it. But, you know, being that close, 
it's kind of a bad drive over there for those of you who live in Florida. You know, the only way to get to Vero Beach, it's almost a straight line across the state from Tampa. But, you know, you take that that sort of isolated drive uh, through 60, you know, across the state, two-lane road, through Yeehaw Junction and all that. Um, but I made it over there in the morning. You know, it was it was really just quarterbacks and receivers and whatnot. Let me just say this about, uh, you know, Josh Freeman has been a guy that's uh, enigmatic to say the least. And we all remember him, you know, when he was drafted by the Bucks in 2000 and I want to say 2009, uh, first year under Raheem Morris. And, and Raheem Morris was a first-time head coach. He was 32 years old. He was a guy that had been a defensive coordinator in, in with Kansas State. And so he knew Freeman, had watched him come in as a true freshman at 19 years old, uh, compete you know in the Big 12 and, and win games. I think he might have beaten Texas one year as a freshman, um, and you know was was a guy that he watched grow up. And so uh, they had a, you know certainly they needed a franchise quarterback, and they took him. And we'll get into what happened uh, during his days uh, in Tampa. But you know it was uh, first of all I've always enjoyed Josh. I've always thought you know he was he was always a likable guy. I thought he had charisma. Um, good looking kid, you know, I mean, he's six foot five. He still kept himself in very, very good shape, but talk about a guy that went off the radar. I mean, he's only 30 years old. It's been obviously a long time since he played Tampa Bay. You know, he, he hadn't even played football for a couple years. So driving over there, first of all, uh, they were, they were working out at Dodger town. And if you've ever been over to Vero or been to Dodger town, this is the place where, the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn, and then Los Angeles Dodgers trained for about 60 years. And it was a sort of a converted naval base. And so they had they had all these dorms. They had, you know, places where guys would stay. And Josh and them were not staying there. But it's a baseball facility. And the Dodgers haven't been there since 2008. To me, it hadn't changed much. I mean, they still maintain it, you know, the city of Vero Beach or whoever or whoever owns Dodger Town. I'm not even really that sure, to be honest with you. But it's turned into sort of a multi-purpose deal. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of different tournaments, whether it's field hockey. Uh, there's a big multi-purpose sort of uh, area. But then it's basically, a, you know, a series of baseball fields. I mean, it looks like a spring training home, which is what it had been for years and years. And it... You drive in, and it says, you know, welcome to historic Dodger Town. And on the lampposts have baseball baseballs as light fixtures on them. And it's very much, you know, um, almost a tourist attraction in a weird way. They got like, I don't know, 100 and something or 80-something rooms. Um, and, uh, you know, presumably when they have campers or different, you know, youth teams or college teams, they can stay there. Uh, again, it was it was a, it was you know a naval barracks. It was it was where uh, where where they they stayed. And so when it was converted way back in the in the forties, um, you know it, it was useful. So you, you drive in, you got Jackie Robinson Drive and down Drysdale Avenue and all this kind of stuff. Um, so it was kind of a weird it was kind of a weird place to go for football. And you know they had set up fields in the outfield essentially um, with some you know temporary goalposts and whatnot. So it's kind of a it was a rustic place, you know, and you're kind of, you know, across the state and you you know, you juxtapose that with what is one Buck Palace, you know, the three very manicured football only fields, sort of in the shadows of, you know, now a new forty million dollar indoor facility. And it's different, okay? It's just different. But this is the CFL, it's not the NFL. 
It wasn't training camp. It was a passing camp. And this is the Montreal Alouettes. Um, so I went over there, and, and the Alouettes now are coached by Mike Sherman, not my sports editor, but by actually the former Packers head coach um, who had you know been doing odd jobs in football and got this opportunity, and this is going to be his first year in the CFL. And, and Mike Sherman's no stranger to Josh Freeman. I mean, they competed against each other. In fact, I think the first game that Josh started was against the Green Bay Packers, and I think he beat Mike Sherman's team um, at the uh, the old sombrero. So uh, the new sombrero, but many, many years ago. So in seeing Josh, you know, this van pulls up and out tumbles <laughs> all these players, including not one, two, three, four, five, six quarterbacks. He's one of six quarterbacks now. Um, trying to make this roster, uh, learning a new playbook. And, you know, the CFL is it's just different. I mean, everything about it is different. And we can get into the, the particulars about, you know, the length of the field and all that. Um, but he really doesn't know anybody. And, you know, one of the first questions that naturally everybody would have, like, you know, he hadn't played any kind of football at all um, since his last game was with, with the Colts that they actually won back in 2015 so obviously, the obviously first question was, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you now trying to make a team in the CFL? So somebody did ask me that, like, dude, are you out of mind? Why, why are you playing CFL? I'm like, I like playing football. I like to play. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's like it's like no. So of the quarterbacks that are there, and I'm not going to get into their names, um, but these are guys that uh, I think one might have had a cup of coffee with the Cardinals, but nobody had actually played in an NFL game. So Josh, I mean, he has the resume all over him, right? They're from little schools as well, like Tifton. Uh, I think there was one from Butler. I didn't even know they played football. Small colleges, Division Two, whatnot. But they're they're six quarterbacks, and you know Josh, you know just physically stands out just because of his stature. And I'll tell you, you know, watching him warm up, I mean, he can still he can still rip the ball. He always was a good thrower of the football. He can spin it, as they say. Um, you know, there's a certain sort of you know sizzle to it a pop if you will uh he's standing there and he's just you know ripping slant routes to these guys and um it sounds different you know and uh so he looked like he hadn't you know he looked like the josh freeman i had watched all those years in tampa bay and practicing in games um and so i you know i was talking to him and i uh, after practice but i had asked him you know is it the guys kind of look at you and go well you know that's josh freeman you you know he was in the show so to speak he was he was the that NFL quarterback for you know a number of years with the Bucks and um, are they you know are they sort of you know not in awe but do they kind of look at you a little differently or are you just one of the guys? I don't I don't think it's so much that I don't think it's I mean it's kind of how do how do you describe it? Because there's just I think there's I, I'm just I'm just going on just a humble guy. Just working, I know you, you know yeah I just so it's, I don't think it's it's that sort of thing yeah. you know. Um, I, yeah, I think it's just working because you know I'm I'm kind of a uh, no man's land in the CFL. You know I haven't established anything. You're starting out, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm a rookie again. But in a parallel universe, I mean, Josh at age 30 should be in the prime of his career. You know, with the Bucks. I mean, he's roughly a couple years behind Matt Ryan. You know, and Matt Ryan just signed what a hundred million dollar contract, or got a hundred million guaranteed. Something such such nonsense. Of course, by now. You know, Ryan has been to a Super Bowl, um, and Josh, you know, not that he didn't make money. I think he made about $36 million in his career. Um, but this is this is sort of the prime age for quarterbacks. Um, so, you know, I asked him sort of, what have you been doing? I mean, you know, we haven't heard from you. Um, you know, do you have a job? 
And the answer is no, man. I, you know, I raise snakes. That was always his big thing. He raises snakes and all kinds of snakes, which he's had to leave behind so he could go to Canada and play in the CFL. I'm still, I'm still breeding snakes. Still breeding snakes? Yeah, well, actually, I outsourced it because I'm be heading up to Canada. But I got a buddy who lives up north a little ways, and uh, he like, owns a pet store and he breeds snakes himself and has his own like rat breeding facility and stuff. Oh wow! So he's got he's got all my snakes right now, so kind of a deal. Okay, so we've established he doesn't work. Um, you know, is not married, doesn't have kids. Obviously, he's back in Kansas City where he was from originally. He sold his house or whatever. You know, he owned here in Tampa Bay, so he has no, you know, real, you know, no real estate ties or anything like that locally. You know, the question is, well, what have you been doing for the last couple of years? Because he looks like he's in shape. And essentially, it's sort of, you know, for lack of better things, playing pickup volleyball and basketball. I mean, you can go to the gym and, like, a basketball as hard as you can. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, you can't really compete, compete, and look at it. I mean, if you pre- if you just sit around and prepare all week to go kick some kids' ass in basketball, you know, <laughs> what kind of loser is that? Yeah, right. So I had a chance to, to sort of watch Josh perform, and it wasn't a long camp. I think they're on the field for maybe about 30 minutes. And, you know, like I said, the CFL is different. First of all, you play with 12 guys. The field is wider. Um, it's 110 yards. So there's lots of open spaces. It's definitely a passing league. You have three downs to make 10 yards for a first down. Um, you know, and things, you know, Everybody in the backfield um, can be in motion. Like you can put three guys moving towards the line of scrimmage when the ball is snapped. So it looks different, and you know you can see him sort of struggling a little bit. He was behind some of the guys in terms of knowing exactly what the reads were, where to go with the ball. Um, Through a couple of passes, you know, one was nearly picked off. But I mean, he looked he looked and sounded like you know like like a quarterback that that he had been and that, you know, is going to eventually figure it out. But I don't know how many systems this is. It's a ton of them for Josh Freeman. Um, but, you know, in talking to him afterwards, um, you know, we talked about what went wrong. And, and this is this is what everybody asked me, and th- there's no real definitive answer. Um, but there were there was an evolution of things that you could say, well, you know, did the organization fail Josh Freeman um, or did he fail them? And I think it's a little of both. You know, I think I think it starts with the fact that, again, going back, he was a young guy, um, you know, who didn't get the reins of the team really his rookie year until, I don't know, week week nine maybe. Um, did okay. You know, back, that was back when Byron Leftwich and Luke McCown uh, was fighting it out, and eventually they played Freeman. But then the next year, if you remember, it was a magical season, and one of the better seasons, in, if you can believe this, in Tampa Bay history. Uh, Josh Freeman started the year. They went ten and six, and you know, with with not a very good roster. You know, you had guys like uh, you know Mike Williams and Legarrette Blunt. Um, you know, obviously, Akeem Talib was on that football team, and they had little pieces here and there, um, Ernest Graham and guys like that. And somehow, Josh and those guys, and, and I've always been one to think that you can't fake, you know, ten wins. Not only that, but the dude threw. 26 touchdowns and I think six interceptions. Uh, And that ratio was one of the best in the NFL that year. So, you know, when you're looking at a second-year quarterback that's all of about 20, 21 years old that can do that, you know, the sky was the limit at that point. Everybody was pretty jacked up in Tampa Bay about him. Um, Yeah, they didn't make the postseason. But then the next year, they did nothing in free agency. And even though they started 4-2, and it looked like they had it going again. They had two wins in the NFC South. 
they go to England and the wheels fell off. Um, Raheem Morris winds up losing the last 10 games. Josh has a very bad year. He's upside down in touchdowns and interceptions. The whole team was bad, and they fire Raheem Morris. And I'm not sure that Raheem was, was really the best coach for Josh because Raheem was a young guy himself. Um, and certainly there was reasons, you know, that the team fell down because they weren't disciplined. Josh didn't have the best work habits. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I don't think Raheem brought that out in him at any at any stretch. Um, and so in comes Graciano. And and let me just tell you, man, if there was ever the wrong coach for Josh Freeman, it might have been Greg. And nothing against Greg. Greg is who he is. But I never got the sense that Greg Shiano wanted him in the first place. Um, so I talked to Freeman, you know, sort of about what went wrong. I asked him, you know, there was a lot of talk about the fact that he didn't have good personal habits. Was was that part of the problem? It's not his habits. I think it's just more, I'd say, I'd say just emotionally consistent. Yeah. You know, that's the yeah. thing. You know, yeah. there's ups and downs. There's yeah. different ways you can handle react. There are different ways you can handle things and uh, react to things. And yeah. it's better if you, if you sway towards logic rather than, rather than emotion. And if you remember, everything about Freeman started to bother Shiano, including Tuesdays are traditionally a day off in the NFL for players, but quarterbacks get the game plan. And there was a Tuesday, you know, in like November when Josh posed for an ESPN magazine cover and was Michael Jackson, you know, uh, posing as him in a thriller and the off-the-wall cover, album covers. That certainly set set him off. Uh, and, and, and then the fact that, you know, Greg, could not stand that when he learned that Josh Freeman was in the substance abuse program. Um, and, you know, it was later revealed, you know, by Josh that he had ADHD, he was taking Ritalin. Um, you know, unfortunately he had, I guess he had, he, he was supposed to take something else and it triggered a positive test. And so he ended up in the program. So all of these things kind of, kind of started to wear, um, you know, at the fringes and, you know, Josh Freeman, Never really, never really meshed with with Greg Schiano, even though there was a time when he had like five games of over a hundred rating, um, battled back to six and six, uh, and then sort of the wheels fell off. And you know, in talking to Josh, um, you know, I asked him if uh, you know that divorce from from Schiano was was sort of something that uh, you know he looks back at and says, well. You know, it was just a bad marriage. It was it was something that really I couldn't do much about. But he took responsibility for it. Surprisingly, he said, you know, a lot of it was on him. I mean, if you look at it, um, obviously he's the head coach, and the job your job's not to your job's to win football games right. as a coach as a player. And I think it became just kind of too much drama and too too much of a distraction for for everybody. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't say hey, I the same position. I would have made the same same choice. And in all honesty, I was twenty five. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. Probably could have, probably could have handled it better and been a little more, um, done, a little bit better with better. Just when it comes to communication, yeah. I'm gonna say communicable. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, yeah. It's just, just like as far as just ex- like expressing whatever, getting on the same page, yeah. more so than just random. I'd say harboring of other mixed emotions, and whatnot. 
So it was, it was a totally different Josh Freeman than the one I remembered. Um, you know, he certainly has grown up. He, he, he does take responsibility. I mean, his, you know, his time after he left the Bucks, he had the Monday night meltdown at Minnesota. They obviously didn't bring him back. Um, you know, he bounced around a little bit after that. And like I said, his final game uh, was, was with Indianapolis where you winded up beating Tennessee, and they didn't invite him back. So, you know, essentially the NFL, for whatever reason, kind of lost his number. And so the CFL, the year before, had sort of tried to get him to come uh, to Montreal, and it was kind of late in training camp, and he realized that he didn't have much chance of learning the playbook or, or really, you know, making it as a starter at that point. But his agent stayed in touch, and it worked out. And, you know, in talking to Josh, I mean, he generally is intrigued about playing in the Canadian Football League. It's a fun league. Yeah. And I'm right I mean, it's, it's a new challenge. And in all honesty, um, so I was thinking about going back to school a couple of years ago. Right. And or I guess last year, right around, uh, shoot, when was it? Yeah, no, it would have been after the Colts year. I was kind of like, oh, shoot, man. I kind of, kind of got exhausted of the roller coaster. It's, it's kind of like, you know, different opportunities would pop up. And it's kind of, I get, I get tired of, you know, not, not having consistency. So you go from the NFL, and like I said, um, you know, you're, you're – in Dodger Town, and you're staying for three days at a hotel off I-60. Um, the vans were leaving. I walked Josh out. You know, he told him to go ahead. I ended up driving him back to his hotel, and we talked about, you know, some of the old times. And, and of course, there's not many players left. Uh, he asked about Joe McCoy. He asked about DeMar Dotson. Um, certainly asked about Doug Martin and remembering the time that, you know, he went crazy in Oakland. Um, all the while, he's kind of directed me to this place. And when we got there, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't much. Uh, it wasn't the five-star, you know, accommodations that you're used to in the NFL. And he said, you know, it was, it was next to a 7-Eleven and across from, like, you know, a Denny's or, a, uh, you know, some kind of Waffle House or something. Um, but he was leaving to go back to Kansas City that afternoon. Um, and, you know, my, my overall impression was, you know, Josh has always been one of these guys that's really polite, um, never really finishes his sentence, as you can tell, sort of listening to the interview, you know, he always answers questions with, yeah, no, and then, oh, 100%, you know, he has these certain phrases. Um, but, you know, I think he, I think he's, you know, I, I hope he makes it. I mean, I think he's a guy you root for. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was sort of, it was sort of depressing <laughs> in a way. I don't think anybody has telethons for someone. I mean, I got a lot of email after I wrote the story about how, you know, somebody had an opportunity like this and, and didn't take advantage of it. Uh, but like I said, I mean, this is a this is an organization with the Bucks that has never, ever signed a quarterback um, to a second contract. And I'm talking about guys like Steve Young and Doug Williams and Trent Dilfer. Those are three guys that won Super Bowls with other teams. So it's not, you know, totally Benny Testaverde. It's not totally unique um, to Josh Freeman that he didn't make it with Tampa Bay because, frankly, no quarterback makes it with Tampa Bay. And that's what I want to leave everybody with is this. Jameis Winston seems like another franchise guy. He was number one overall. He wasn't 15 like Josh was. And yet he's had one winning season the way Josh Freeman did. He hasn't made the playoffs. Neither did Josh Freeman. And he's entering his fourth year. Uh, and what's significant about that is we don't know what the NFL is going to do with him in terms of suspension. I've said all along, I, I think there's going to be some games he's going to have to miss. That's certainly going to put, you know, people's jobs in jeopardy, whether it's Dirk Cutter or Jason Light or, or both. Should there be an, another bad season where they don't make the playoffs? I think Josh 
or I'm sorry, here I go. I think Jameis would get an opportunity to come back uh, even at the $20 million that they would own for the fifth-year option. But it's going to be a new head coach, and he's going to have one year, much like Shiano had two years, but he's going to have one year to try to salvage the franchise quarterback. Don't think, and for different reasons. I mean, you know, we know Jameis Winston is a totally different guy than Josh Freeman. Everybody would say, well, there's no comparisons. You know, he, he has a high work ethic, and he has – you know, um, great, you know, great values and all this stuff. Well, listen, he has his own demons too, and we know what they are. And one of those might get him suspended this year. And we know what it was coming out of Florida State. So for whatever reason, um, he's had his own battles, personal battles as well. And what's just amazing is how we're almost to the same sort of precipice that, that Josh was at with Jameis Winston. And it's just a cautionary tale of, you know, for as much as you think things are going to go a certain way, sometimes they don't. And I think Josh Freeman was certainly proof of that. So interesting catching up with him. And uh, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Josh uh, and kind of uh, getting an idea for, for that whole experience. It was, it was kind of bizarre, but it was, uh, it, was also, uh, it was also good catching up with him. Speaking of former Bucks and first-round picks, congratulations to Booger McFarlane. Anthony Booger McFarlane. Don't call him Anthony because he now goes by Booger McFarlane and has really since he was 12 or 13, even going back to that. Um, But Booger McFarlane is going to be part of the Monday Night Football crew, if you can believe that. He's joined the legacy. He's replacing John Gruden? Well, in a sense, but not in the booth. No. You know, in the booth, they're going to have Jason Witten to go with uh, Joe Testator, I guess, is going to be the play-by-play guy. But for the first time ever... The Bucks are going to use a on-field analyst, uh, not a reporter. Lisa Salter is still going to be the on-field reporter. But Booger McFarlane is going to be part of the Monday Night Football crew, and he's going to be an on-field analyst. Really much, I guess it's not really that different from uh, who was the guy from the Baltimore Ravens that used to do it for Fox years ago. Tony Saragusa used to be sort of an on-field analyst, if you will. Um, and at any rate, Think about the meteoric rise this guy has had in the in his broadcasting career. Less than four years, he went from what is now an extinct uh, sports radio station in Tampa Bay, 98.7 The Fan, to Monday Night Football. And, of course, he's appeared on Mike and Mike, and he, you know, uh, since 2014, he's been a college football analyst and, and one of the guys now in the studio for them. Uh, I've always liked, I always thought Booger was, was a smart guy in covering him. He was always a guy that had a lot of uh, great insight, uh, knew, knew how to tell a story, very homespun stories about growing up in Louisiana and his family and how he got the nickname Booger and all of that. Um, but it got me to thinking that, man, Tampa Bay has forever, it seems, at least since I've been around covering the Bucks, become the cradle of broadcasters. I mean, as much as Harvard makes presidents and North Carolina has stock car drivers, we've got football broadcasters. And if you don't believe me, uh, just and I don't you know not just guys that that call games, but I'm talking about top of the line jobs. You know, starting with Tony Dungy, uh, who is you know on Football Night in America on Sunday night. John Gruden, of course, who for ten years was the star of Monday Night Football before he took a hundred million dollars to go back to coaching. Um, I'll just run through the list a little bit and tell me and tell me if I'm missing anybody. But I mean, this list is pretty impressive. Either at one time or another, or still doing it. Steve Young, John Lynch, Rondi Barber. Brian Greasy, Keyshawn Johnson, Warren Sapp for a while, and NFL Network, Trent Dilfer at ESPN for years, now on NFL Network. Joey Galloway does college football. Chris Sims, now for NBC. Anthony Beck, Matt Stinchcomb, Kevin Carter, 
Lomas Brown had his run. And that doesn't include guys like that had a cup of coffee doing stuff on ESPN, uh, like Sean King and Derek Brooks and Warwick Dunn. Michael Clayton's on local TV here as a radio personality, does some pregame shows. Dave Moore does radio, of course. He's their analyst uh, for the Bucks. Ian Beckles also. Bruce Krakowski is, is the color analyst for the Toledo Rockets. I mean, there are guys on and on and on. And, of course, tons of media people as well. So I talked to Tony Dungy a little bit, and I said, you know, just, I mean, it really is something when you, when you consider the number of players that have come through here and made it to major network jobs and important jobs in covering football. And I think he agreed with me that, you know, it's, it's just that they're smart guys. I mean, they drafted a lot of smart football players. And the other thing, and I, I would credit Tony and John for this, there was no Belichicking approach to the media. Both those coaches, and really the ones since to some degree, although Shannon was a little more guarded, um, have encouraged their players to be very cooperative with the media and to say what's on their mind. They've had no censors. They've gotten lots of reps in front of cameras. And, you know, for the guys that we would always interview, like Lynch's and those guys, uh, they got very comfortable, you know, on the other side of the, of the microphone. And so it was an easier transition for them. And I think it's, uh, I think there's something to that. In addition to getting great training from people like me. <laughs> well, that's really it's the not, reason it's, it's happened. It's me. I'm the one that taught him. Thank you for the praise. But uh, no, and there's a ton of ton of media guys too. I mean, you know, you're talking about um, you know Colin Coward and Aaron Andrews and Jay Crawford and Rob Stone and Scott Hansen and Sage Steele, just to name a few. So, you know, there have been some pretty good media people come through here and, and go on to to big things as well. Um, so, and congratulations to Booger McFarland. We're going to try to have a chance to talk with him. Uh, none of this is official, <laughs> by the way. It was announced by the Athletics, so we're kind of giving somebody else's report. But it is true, and uh, I hope to have Booger McFarland next week. Maybe we can get him to do a little podcast as well when I have a chance to talk to him. Happy for Booger. And so, okay, tonight the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, they're going to uh, start a series with uh, your former team, the Atlanta Braves. You spent a lot of time in Atlanta. I did. Braves are in first place, right? They're in first place. They got a great young roster. Uh, some stars like uh, Albies and Acuna should be a fun series. It's only a two game series, a real short one. But uh, the Rays will play in Atlanta in August. Yeah, that they might get some fans up there. Still trying to uh, to get themselves to five hundred. If they can do that, if they um, win the two games, been... if they sweep the Braves, they'll be at back at five hundred. Right, but another chance to win a series, which is something they've been doing, is putting together series wins, is what you have to do. And then uh, we got bolts and caps. I mean, we, we're waiting to see what game, what day that will be. Probably Friday, it looks like, maybe, but no official word on that as we tape this bot podcast. But I think it's going to be a great series. We're going to talk about it all week. We're going to have Tom Jones. That's right, that guy, hoping that he picks the Capitals. Pick Washington. Hoping, <laughs> hoping that – I don't know, man. Some of the email – it's almost like he's damned if he, do, if he does now because if he picks the Lightning and, – and no one's actually – to be honest with you, no one's asking him for his pick – but if you were to come out and write a column saying, I think the Lightning are going to win the series, everybody would think, well, now you're just sucking up because you can't take the heat. Well, he is lucky. He, he is lucky it's not Pittsburgh and he picked Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh since he's from there. Because he's from there. Yeah, that right. That so would have been worse. Break. That would have been worse than the Boston ribbing. He did get a break. He absolutely did. Yeah, we'll have more on that. And then Phil Esposito is going to join us this week, right? That's the plan. He is uh, tentatively scheduled for either Thursday or Friday's podcast. So lots to look forward to. Listen, we're glad you guys are here with us. We're here every Monday through Friday. Um, we love the interaction. Certainly there's been a lot of interaction with my former co-host and sometimes uh, guest on this show, Tom Jones. 
um, especially after you know the Bruins series. But you can always interact with us on Twitter. I think you figured out how to do that. But if you don't know, you can get us at uh, Sports Day TB. Uh, you can reach me at MFL Stroud or online at rstroud at Tampa Bay. Dot com. We'd love for you to rate and review this podcast, and they can do that almost anywhere, right, Steve? Yeah, anywhere you get podcasts, we're there. So whether it's iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you can subscribe. You can like the post there, or you can leave comments, or you can go to tampabay.com slash sports. The latest episode's always up there, too. Get ready for Lightning Capitals. It's going to be a big week. Only one round now from the Stanley Cup Finals. Can they make it? It's going to be great. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Versnick. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.